0: Welcome to Rector's Cupboard, a podcast for people who are interested in questions of culture and faith. We ask these questions from outside the institutional structures of religion. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you enjoy and benefit from the conversation. So we are Rector's Cupboard on the road. We are in Calgary, Alberta.
1: We sure are. Cowtown.
0: Uh, behind us through the window, you can see what's <laughs> called, and it's quite the name, it's called the Calgary Tower. It's so original. The,
1: I was just going say, there was a lot of creativity in used to in be that. called the
0: Husky Tower and might be sponsored by somebody else now. But <laughs> like we are Calgary. here on the road. I think the first time Rector's Cupboard has been on the road. I mean, we've been on location many times before.
1: Definitely not out of BC. they
0: haven't let us out of the province before. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) And so now we're in another province, and we are going to be recording a series of interviews over the next couple of days um, that we'll put together as a little series that will come out in some time. But the reason we're talking right now is because, well, Rector's Cupboard is supposed to be off for a couple of months, like July and August, basically.
1: But in case our listeners haven't picked up, Todd really likes bonus episodes. But we have Mm. a bonus
0: episode. (laughs)
2: We're not so great at time off, either.
0: and the bonus Apparently episode not. is because our guest, who you'll get to listen to in just a couple of minutes, or a few minutes, or ten minutes, or you could however go, long this you takes could us. go right now if you wanted to, <laughs> and not listen to us talk like this. Um, but uh, we had a special guest who agreed to come on. Like we spoke with him, read an article. I read an article in the uh, Toronto Star around the Roe versus Wade, the overturning of Roe versus Wade in the United States. And a gentleman here in Canada who used to be a really conservative Catholic media figure, interviewed all over the place, like even, you know, in the United States, in England, in Canada, uh, had his own television show for a number of years and wrote consistently in newspapers and other places, uh, named Michael Corrin, uh, changed his view on LGBTQ issues and other things in 2015, thereabouts, um, and has written a bunch on that. But he had an article... Uh, speaking in light of the Roe versus Wade, the overturning of Roe versus Wade, particularly having to do with Christian faith um, and a little more nuanced than most people think. So I thought, so that's what the interview is and it's mm-hmm. great. I think you really enjoy it. Um, it's, yeah, there's all kinds of stories and he knows Stephen Fry well. Yeah, Stephen it, was, Fry's <laughs> Moses books it was great and, talking to him. So yeah, um, but I wanted to ask you guys, you grew up kind of more familiar, familiar with the evangelical church and such. Um these issues, but particularly the issue of abortion. There wasn't, I'm assuming, like in your upbringing, nuance on that particular topic. Is that fair to say,
2: Amanda? I'd say that's pretty accurate. So yeah.
0: you, in your kind of familiarity with the Christian church, um, abortion was just...
2: Like a non-starter.
0: And, and clear in terms of what the Bible said, correct?
2: Oh, absolutely. It just simply was wrong.
0: Yeah, and, and so there was no it, discussion, and that was it.
2: That, that's and it. Was, that kind of ends the story. Like it's wrong.
0: I remember one time being in a Bible study, like as a as a young pastor leading a Bible study group. I Can't remember if it was my house or where, but this woman came and she was like well loved by everybody in the church. This Plymouth Brethren kind of background church, and somehow she started saying, "Oh, I don't, I don't think abortion is wrong at all. I don't think." And she just like oh, she just hadn't got, very got the she hadn't got the memo or something, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so like the root could just see the Ooh. other people like. You know, and then I can imagine c- that room. kind of oh, explaining to that. Must I think in, in their minds explaining like, well, she's just not far along enough yet or something like mm. that. But um, so that's what this is about. But we actually have a little bit of a tasting here, too.
1: Yeah, we thought we should definitely have something to drink when we talked about we, this. We brought BC to
2: Alberta. We, we did. Yeah. It was so a little pre pre-purchase yeah. for our time away. Yeah, so it's Naramata Cider um, off the Naramata Bench in BC in the Okanagan. Um, normally, the Okanagan's known for their wine. Oh,
1: but this is the best cider. This it's is so, so good. It's my favorite.
2: Yeah, so it's it's done um, by Elephant Island. Um, and mm-hmm. They have an orchard, and they do fruit wines, but now they also do ciders. And they live actually very close to where my parents live, um, just down the road on the, the Naramata <laughs> Bench. So every time I visit my parents, I go down there and pick up something. Um Yes. And this is just so delightful. You just got
0: this. You just got this. Yeah, about yeah. two weeks ago. So it is spring 2022. It is apple black currant. The name of it is current it's, event.
1: I mean, it's quite tart, but mm-hmm. I tend to like things that are very tart. So I, I'm a huge fan of their, their cider. It, yeah. it can be hard to find in the lower mainland. It but can. if you can get your hands on it, I highly recommend it. It's, it's very, very it really good. really is
0: fantastic. I'm not the biggest cider person, but this is really I awesome.
2: enjoy cider quite a lot. But anything from Elephant Island or an aromatic cider, I think mm-hmm. is really fantastic. Allison and I are quite partial to their Black currant wine as well. Which again, it, is very tart. Yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that, so we're Rector's Cupboard. Some, some people know the history of the name Rector's Cupboard and these tastings that we do mm-hmm. and such. Um. You know, if you don't, there's an episode on it. You can go there back is and King
1: versus Licorice. Go find King it. King versus up. Licorice. Mm-hmm. You can go look find it up.
0: That. Um, But uh, it gets me to thinking, and and now for this particular episode, talking about abortion, homosexuality, other things. Um, you know, are we the kind of people that are we the people that others, you know, in evangelical Christianity, warn people about?
2: Are we dangerous? Yeah. We like to drink.
0: You have you have well, cider. That. You have a conversation about abortion that mm-hmm. is more than simply like so
2: homosexuality. Oh, that's it. Mm-hmm. Homosexuality.
1: Um, I think there would definitely people be people that, that I grew up with. I, I grew up quite, um, conservative Baptist, uh, who I don't think understand me anymore. And, and I mean, I want to be as kind as, as possible. Cause I, I was that until I was in my twenties. Um, I, I, yeah, had very, very staunch opinions on abortion, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, I'll just, you know, spoil it here that, that I've kind of made some changes on. Um, but I, I know for for myself, I've, I found it very interesting in, in reflecting back that there are virtually two issues that seem to be the litmus test in at least evangelical Christianity as I've experienced it. And that's homosexuality and abortion. And the Bible doesn't really say almost anything about either one of those, or at least not it as says, we actually understand it. it now there are verses virtually that are nothing yeah, about abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, especially abortion. Um, and, and I, I understand people who are opposed to abortion. I, I get it. Um, I, I understand the, um, the, the belief in wanting to protect life. I, I think it is a movement that at the, at the top as it, as, as, as it exists, particularly, I think, in the States, but also in Canada, that the people who are the loudest proponents for pro-life legislation, anti-abortion legislation, I'm not sure are true believers. I think they, they see it as a way to get power. You but are true believers are, in that cause. You're yes, not face mm-hmm. I, I think they see mm-hmm. it as a, as a way to consolidate power and, and gain that. What's but there are people who are within the pro-life movement who I think very much are 100% true believers, and I go, if your belief is that you are doing everything within your power to stop what I grew up believing was, in all cases, the murdering of babies, I get that. Like, I, I get why people believe that, I get why they would push for legislation that they wholeheartedly believe protects lives. I, I can get that, and I just disagree On some points with them
0: what what gets me is that and i I know of this like having been a pastor having gone to theological school and all the rest i think some of the people you're speaking about are told by their leaders Mm -hmm. that the bible is clear on this Mm -hmm. god is super opposed to this yes people who would be open to uh, you know abortion being legal um, are somehow on the devil's side or they're evil or they're terrible or they're wrong or they're bad and what gets me is it's either uneducated that people haven't actually read what the Bible says about abortion, uh, that they haven't read the history of the Christian church in terms of abortion, that the that particularly evangelical Christ Christianity was not always opposed to abortion in the way that it is now.
2: No, not at well, all. No. Right, even including around leaders. Roe versus Wade, yeah,
0: right? Yeah. And so that lack of honesty is the thing that I think is mm-hmm. is most upsetting. And that's what Michael Korn gets to. He does things like, you know, he says that, like, in In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about how God knew him in the womb, right? That, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. but the idea that that's a statement on you know the ethics of abortion is insanity. Or um, the Psalm, Psalm one thirty nine, that yes. says, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You knew me before I was formed. All these things that that somehow that po that poem becomes like ethically where the stance is mm-hmm. and. Corin also points out there are if you wanted to look at scripture in terms of what scripture says about a fetus and abortion and stuff it seems to it clearly actually says that the life of a fetus and the life of the mother are not equal they're not equal things Mm -hmm. there's different penalties if if those lives are taken yeah Mm -hmm. um and that's in in uh exodus and other places that that's really clear well, so again it's it's that honesty to say no this is not so some leader is telling you that this is what the bible says this is wh- what you're supposed to think and then whole blocks are. and i
2: think that's where some of my anger lies because i i, I was like you else and like yeah. in terms of the things that i accepted and i don't want to say that i believe yeah. because a lot of things never really sat well we've talked about that before in previous mm-hmm. episodes that there's things that i kinda of blindly went I along with.
1: I told the party the party line on a lot of stuff yeah. that, yeah, because that I never heard, felt right.
2: I heard a lot of things from the pulpit that I just accepted because it, it was in the pulpit. Well I also um, well, and you
0: weren't told this is the way we interpret it. Or this no, is what no, we think. No, exactly. no
2: exactly. You were told this now, is what God thinks. Yeah, and as I've gotten older and just kind of said, No, these things never sat well with me and I just don't believe any of it. And then the next step is actually learning that it's just Scripture has been taken in such an irresponsible way mm. and contorted yeah. and yeah. used to the use of whatever it is that they wanted to it argue. It is
0: um, at least partially about amassing political power, which is what the issue and is. And that's right.
2: yeah. where my anger starts to come in because there's so many people yeah. that are much like we were, who were just saying yes. like, this is the thing that we need to believe. Okay. And I trust that person who's speaking to us. Um yeah, and in some cases, you know, I don't want to rail against pastors by any stretch. That's not it, but like a kind of an anti-intellectual thing that n- not all of them are super educated, right? And not necessarily masters of divinity or have done intense biblical studies or actually right. understand, like you said, the Christian history or the biblical history or yeah. like the long arc of history of how we got to where we're understanding yeah. the things that we are. Yeah. Um. So it's it's kind of like. And ignorance and You feel in
0: a bit ripped of, off. You feel like, I why didn't you tell well, me the truth and, and why yeah. didn't you tell me the whole story instead mm-hmm. of just your part? Well,
1: but I think part of it is they don't know. Some of them, I think, mm-hmm. are yeah. that's what they have been told. That's what they understand. The movement to believe. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think one of the things that bothers me is the the abortion issue is not wholly. A, a theological issue. You mm-hmm. can't remove the medical aspect from That's it, right. the scientific yeah. aspect from it. And I get very frustrated with some of the misinformation that is spread um, about abortion in in a way that that vilifies a medical procedure that, that needs to happen sometimes. Like yeah. for, I mean, even the terminology that we use, a miscarriage is medically called a spontaneous or natural abortion. Yes. So... Any woman who has had a miscarriage has had that form of an abortion. Also, if you have a miscarriage, depending on how far along you are in your pregnancy, likely you may receive a DNC, which is a procedure that is an abortion procedure. And we are seeing now in the States with legislation that has been enacted since Roe v. Wade was overturned, women who are not able to get medical procedures, when they have miscarried their babies because their doctors are so afraid of legislation, of, lack like, of litigation, mm-hmm. yeah, or sorry, that's what I meant, of yeah. litigation against them, and so there are women who are walking around literally with dead babies inside of them. Yes, and it's there. There are so many reasons why abortions may be medically necessary. I mean, I don't, I don't seek to to sensationalize anything and I don't, I don't want to center necessarily myself. I, my husband and I have had to have conversations because of complications that I've had. I've had medical procedures in which I have a lot of scarring around my uterus and for me to have a pregnancy not only would be medically complicated for various reasons actually, but absolutely psychologically terrifies me. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, So what if you lived in you know, Mississippi or... Yeah, or no,
1: yeah. and I go, there There does seem to be an assumption that I think is presented. I don't think that this is actually what everyone who gets involved in these discussions wholly believes, but what seems to be presented is that pregnancy only happens within these really ideal standards where you have people who aren't needing to choose between can I feed the kids I already have mm-hmm. or do I keep this... Like, that? there are not always ideal situations there are not there are not always times and and the thing is that even when when you're talking about legislation that permits abortion when the mother's life is in danger that's a subjective term so there are there are people who are pregnant who are needing to get an abortion because they medically need it 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 is necessary for their health and they're being denied or delayed service because, well, is it imminent death? Yeah, there's, there's, there's like counts already and of women so
0: being like, they're, they're waiting for the, it's for the fetus it's to it's die. Terrifying it's terrifying um, so to me. So that, like, don't you can't help her yet, you can't help her yet, you can't help her yet. Yeah, right? so
2: you're Yourself. just in a waiting game, or, you know, I, I think the news story that everybody's heard about, the 10-year-old child <sighs> having to cross state lines because where she was didn't allow it and like these exceptional cases and I understand that they're exceptional but clearly they happen and the harm that's being caused
0: well and then so-called Christian leaders lying about the doctor who did that yes saying that she has consistent failure to report and all this stuff now she's suing the attorney general Mm -hmm. in her own state because he said we're going to go after her because it's absolutely not the case and so as someone who's a Christian and has Christian faith I'm like aren't I supposed to give a shit about lying and yes. about uh-huh. attacking someone who, whether you agree with her or not, she thinks she's doing a good thing. I also do think that as well. But to help someone, to help a child, and because you have a political view and a religious view, you know, damn her right mm-hmm. yeah. and I think this is like where scripture. it's picking and it's choosing this theocracy the thing that you want of this to, thing. it's yeah. that this is the beginning of a desired theocracy this does get to Christian nationalism yes. and all those kinds Very of much things so. and we could say it over and over again on this podcast Christian nationalism is not Christian if you are if you're <laughs> in Amen. a place or a state where you hear Christian nationalism being spoken of in positive ways and those kind, it is not Christian it is idolatry mm-hmm. it is the furthest thing from Christian it is like a parasite on Christian faith yeah. and and when you see people like that attacking women like this, um, that's the... And so for me, like obviously the abortion issue matters greatly and it should be women who get to choose those things, not this, you know, well, attorney yeah. general in Ohio. I mean,
1: I think that there's some common ground that, that a lot of people... Um, I mean, I think it would be the exception that somebody would go, I wish there were significantly more abortions in the world. I, I go, yeah, I, I wish that there were less necessary abortions. I am. Sure. I can get behind, you know. And there, life are, there are ways to
2: but ensure that happens with yes, social structures. Legislation being put into place. actually has
1: proven time mm-hmm. and time again that that actually legislating abortions, making them illegal, doesn't make them go away. It just makes them dangerous. And I do go. I've heard people who have, um, you know, proposed the shaky legal merits. of of Roe v. Wade. And I go, okay, I I understand. Sure, sure, fine. I I get that maybe there could be different precedent that that was set upon. However, I go, I feel nauseated thinking of the women who will die while a better case is made.
0: But don't you also just think, now this is going to break the, you know, that can't we see that this is the imposition of a religious view? Because even what Mm -hmm. we've said, even Christian faith, even evangelical Christian faith has not always had the view it currently has. In other words, they have not always agreed when life begins. What you know, words. Well, and there isn't consensus or. in the so current then Christian is the movement. So, this imposition of religious belief upon people who do not believe that, yes. or do. Or in other words, and we're fine with that. That's that's why it gets to the theocracy and Christian nationalism and stuff. In other words we our religious belief gets to choose what other people do and I think we wouldn't want that from well other I mean fans. I think one of
1: the fallacies so. of no. of the um, you know the pro-choice movement is or like against the pro-choice movement is that you know we just want abortions all the time for everyone and that um, yeah it's it, it's I'm like, no, I, I don't think there should be forced abortions. I'm, I'm saying that people should be able to choose if they get an abortion and that I don't get to make that decision That's for them. <laughs> exactly. So I go, yeah. if you really do not want to have an abortion...
2: Then don't have then one.
1: Then don't have one. And I think that we should have um, social structures and Christian structures that help you in that choice. I think you should be able to make a choice, but I do not believe in forced pregnancy. There is also part where I go, pregnancy is not this neutral thing. Again, it is idealized. It is dangerous. It is, and even in healthy pregnancies, my doctor told me when I gave birth to my first daughter, which was um, totally textbook. Like I went into labor on my due date. Like everything about it was like picture perfect, pretty much. And she told me after that she's like, you need to give yourself about a year for your body to recover from this. It's been through quite a trauma. It needs to like, it is not this neutral thing that people should be forced
3: right. into,
1: mm-hmm. not to mention the fact that there are women for whom pregnancy is so difficult and birth is so difficult that I don't think it should be forced on people. And what that means as far as like, I, I also go, can we also concede that the, the abortion matter is not this black and white well,
0: thing. I, think, I, think so I think that's the that issue. That's the issue. It, yeah. Like you said, your upbringing, it was black and white. Mine, it was black and white. Yeah. I never really fully kind of bought that. I, I think always thing, saw right? that it was a political thing. There was something thing.
2: not there, but I mean. Because it was
0: so convenient in identifying enemies. That seemed to yes. actually be what the function of it was. Even Other more right. than protecting life. Now, I know some people would disagree with that, and that. Yes. But I'm saying in my experience, the people that I knew, I and not saying that they didn't care about life and all the rest, um, but... It seemed, as a young person observing this, someone who cared about my faith deeply, that, oh, what it really seems to be functioning as, this issue, is it clarifies who the opponents are. And that, to me, becomes suspicious as a It ends up dehumanizing them.
1: And it ends up dehumanizing them. And I think that any move towards dehumanizing people is anti-Christian. Like, I don't wish to dehumanize the pro-life side of the abortion debate. I don't wish to do that. There are lots of people that I love and that I care about who I think would staunchly disagree with me. And for very many of them, for a lot of very valid reasons to them. And so I go, I, I don't want to dehumanize them. But I also, I don't want to dehumanize people who feel like abortions are a necessary part of reproductive health,
2: yeah. health yeah. Um, yeah, I also think that there, I also even just the term pro-life... It, <sighs> It There's needs a to problems to stop. with that. There's a problem with it. It needs to stop because I don't think it is pro- It's so pro- cliché I mean, to say, yeah, it, pro-life and pro-gun. It, it, honestly, just and call it what it is. And are social you're, programs you're, to actually care for people. You're anti-abortion. That's it. You're not, I, I don't want to say pro-life because if that were true, Even then, more so,
0: you're anti-legalized abortion. Like, you're, you're, yeah. what you want is a law. Yeah. Um, that the, yeah, it's, it's the, all those things are interesting and I think that mm-hmm. it's, uh, so I think- I'm
2: grateful for Michael Corrin. And people yes. like him. Well, here's
0: here's someone, he, he talks more about the LGBTQ issue, but h- this article that we'll mm-hmm. put in the in the notes um, is on the abortion issue and his experience on what happens if you change your mind on these things. Yeah. And well. he says he changed his mind on LGBTQ rights and otherwise because of his faith, not in spite of it. I feel the same thing around abortion. Some people listening might think like, well, you I can't possibly people, be Christian yes, and exactly. think like that. I All that. I can say is I can implore you to say you... I, I can't force you to believe me, but I can say the reason I have feel nuancing on these things is because of my faith, mm-hmm. and because I've actually read these things, and I've read scripture, and I know it, and I know how it's been used, and that the way that it's been used in in building these camps uh, is something that seems a long way away from Christian faith to me. So I would just say to, to those who are listening, you know, read scripture on it, do, a, and don't just read the people who you know agree with one. One mm-hmm, way, read mm-hmm. both. Read the history. Know the history of how the evangelical church became so well, committed to being against yes. abortion. Yeah. I would
1: also like I would I would implore for like radically choosing humanity and humanizing others. I some of the tactics that I've witnessed from from the anti abortion, the pro life movement, the picketing outside of clinics, the graphic um Posters that I've seen yeah, in my hometown. We have the one put home- in my mailbox like, the other day. Yeah, it yeah. is horrifying. It is horrifying, and it mm-hmm. is dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's to not people Christ-like. Who, no, to people who who may be in a position where they either feel that they cannot or should not continue a pregnancy. Um, it it is so cruel to to do. There are. There are several women that I know that have had to have what would be classified as abortion procedures because they lost very wanted pregnancies. Um, And I go, if we lived in the States, they may not be able to get those procedures, or they may have to walk through picketers who are calling them baby murderers as they carry their dead child in their womb. Like... How how is that Christ like? I ask. So I just abortion. I implore for mm-hmm. humanity, and I implore for for people who are on the pro-abortion, the pro-choice, pro-choice side. Pro-choice, yeah. To to just also choose to try to, to humanize be the human, side. like yeah. to hu- to you know to humanize other people as well. Um, I know that I I get frustrated, but it. It is unhelpful just to spew vitriol at each Mo- other
0: Most of the research that show polling shows that people are actually quite nuanced in their views mm-hmm. um, it is the it's the base on each side left and mm-hmm. right that seeks to use the issue to you mm-hmm. know get voting blocks that that you know solidifies that
2: I think that it's stance. also cruel especially when you're preaching from the pulpit to make someone who identifies as a Christian to feel like maybe they're not because of these views yeah, right yeah. As we've changed our views, like, I I know there was a time when I thought, well, I guess that means that I'm not Christian, this faith that Hmm. I care so deeply about, but I'm not, I'm not willing to move on this anymore. Um,
0: Very interesting. uh,
2: You know, like, issues of homosexuality. Yeah. yeah. So does that mean I have to abandon my faith? And maybe I do. And that's, That's, that's... yeah. Horrible, and it's that's where people like Michael Korn can really mm-hmm. help us. It's
0: great interviews. Mm-hmm. So, well, yeah. thank you both and for your time and and on the road, on the, on
2: road, the road again.
0: <laughs> well, welcome to Rector's cupboard bonus summer edition,
1: bonus summer edition.
0: <laughs> and so, I don't even know. Do we have theme music? We don't know yet. And uh, but we're super super pleased to be joined this morning by Michael Korn. Michael is an Anglican priest, an author and columnist. He's also hosted a nightly television and radio show for 20 years uh, for which he won numerous awards. He's won other awards too. Um, he's a columnist for the Toronto Star, frequent contributor to The Globe and Mail, TV Ontario, iPolitics, The New Statesman, and several other Canadian and British publications. He's a best-selling author of 18 books, including biographies of G.K. Chesterton, H.G. Wells, Arthur Conan Doyle, J.R.R. Tolkien, and C.S. Lewis. He's contributed to the Dictionary of National Biography and several other anthologies, and Michael has been published in many countries and more than a dozen languages. Uh, For our conversation today, we're looking particularly at two of uh, Michael's books, more recent one called Epiphany from a few years ago, and then the most recent book um, called The Rebel Christ. We highly recommend picking up uh, both and reading them. Uh, we really engaged well with them and have a lot of, uh, we hope, great questions, and we hope that the conversation blesses those of you who are listening. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. I'm assuming, because I've just done it a bunch of times, that we can call
3: you Michael. Oh, you have to call me Sir throughout okay. the year. Uh, sir uh, Michael.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> sir oh, goodness. I
3: yeah. Okay, I'm going to have to make whatever right you want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, the, of those eight, eighteen books, uh, and our eighteen books bestseller, four of them were bestsellers. Okay, well, four, taken. not so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's like and saying some...
0: yeah, it's like saying Wayne Gretzky and his brother are the highest scoring brother duo in NHL history.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the others varied. I mean, some sank into obscurity, but um, there were. And the, the, the Tolkien and the Lewis biographies. Weren't best sellers actually, mm. but they, but um, the lovely thing about those is, and it wasn't because of the quality of the book, but because they were published when the movies were out, right? Uh. We sold those in uh, Turkish and Greek and, and really? Norwegian and Japanese, you know, I'd never have that today, uh, but they didn't sell that well in the US and here, but some of the more recent ones, um, have done quite well, but not. The, the rebel Christ we've just found a British publisher for that fantastic I'd like it to be published in other in other languages but so far we haven't had any it's much harder today it used to be much easier to have books published yes. abroad. Mm-hmm. very difficult these days. are you
0: still writing now are you writing something right now
3: a, a book you mean yeah I mean you we're know, always writing columns I, mean, I, I don't I, I used to be with Random House and they were lovely to me but they want a biography And there's no one I want to write a biography of. I'm just (laughs) a lot of
2: work.
3: (laughs) 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 Well, I I mean, C.S. Lewis retains, I mean, he's still a fixture of my life, but there have been many biographies. I don't think I have anything new to say. Um, Mm. Actually, another publisher asked me to do one of him, but it is a lot of work. But the publisher who did uh, Rebel Christ, which is a smaller Canadian house, not that small, they employ a number of people, but uh, there's a possibility of a memoir. And that... Mm. I think mm. I probably would do. I, although it's a yeah. challenge. I could see that.
0: Mm. Fantastic.
3: At least taking it up to maybe my ordination and, um, People, there are a lot of people I work with who are quite famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you've got to be a little careful as well. God, I, There are things I'd like to say about some people. Well, uh... <laughs> <laughs> <You can't laughs> of course, necessarily
0: mm, say all the things. We noticed that <laughs> no, Stephen Fry no. has endorsed your work yes. as well, right? So that's something that yeah.
3: Well, Stephen is a darling. He, he, I mean, you know, he he's just very generous in his endorsement. Yeah. but it, it was lovely to get him because you know he's, he's such a well-known atheist, and mm-hmm. it. Marvelous to get people like Sir Dermot McCulloch at Oxford and Mark Oakley at Cambridge. Mm-hmm. You know, these are extraordinary people. But for Stephen, who is an atheist, to say such lovely thing, but he is one of the kindest and most generous people I know. So, you know. That's well put.
1: Oh, that's that's great. Um, no, I, I I found your book very interesting. I read it in about like a 24-hour span last week, and I was just it – was, it was very um, – it, it was easy to read in the fact that like it kept like you just kept turning the pages it it was beautifully written and I would highly highly recommend it to any of our listeners. Um, I personally really was very encouraged and educated by it. Um, and in your in well in epiphany I um I think Todd Todd read Rebel Christ as well. Um, you there there's quite a lot of the book that's dedicated to to like your story uh you you devote a large portion of the book to tell us kind of, Where you were, uh, and then how some of these changes came about. And we, I think it's some of the best parts of the book, frankly. Um, And I would love if you could maybe tell us just a little bit of your story now uh, how you came to some of the shifts in your understandings of faith that you did, uh, where you are today, and how, um, what that impacts as far as regards to your understandings of faith and culture.
3: Okay. Uh, Well, my, I'll start at the very beginning. Well, I was, was going to sing there, but I won't do that. You've, you've <laughs> enough. Uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I, I was raised, obviously, I'm a Brit. I was raised in a quite ordinary sort of upper working class, so middle class home in a London suburb. And uh, my dad was Jewish. Actually, three of my grandparents were Jewish. My, my, my dad was Jewish and my mum's dad was Jewish, but an orphan. And he was not a very if you think of Jewish people, he he was an orphan, he was in the army for four years, so he came out of the, the army in 45, heavily tattooed and a heavy drinker, which is not things you generally associate with Jewish people, clearly of that generation. Um, so he just happened to be uh, Jewish and they'd been adopted. And so that side of the family, it was very, there was n- nothing sort of culturally Jewish about it. Whereas my dad's side, They were from Hackney and Tottenham in parts of London that had large Jewish communities. Tottenham still does, actually, a Hasidic community. And um, there was quite a strong culturally Jewish part there. But because he married my mom, I wasn't raised with any particular faith. I was raised with a certain consciousness of Jewishness. And I grew up in in a Britain in the 19... I was born in 59, where anti-Semitism was very limited. I mean, it is now. Um, There are people who try and claim other things Often, I think, due to geopolitics, but it, it's it wasn't a big issue. There was always someone who was a pain in the backside, but I mean that it wasn't the norm. In fact, it was the opposite. Mm. Um, and the Church of England was the backcloth to my life uh, growing up in England. It's, it's the established church, and it, it's not aggressive, but it's sort of there, and it's rather lovely. Roman Catholicism was a minority religion. The only Catholics I knew were the Irish kids we played soccer with in the park. You know, otherwise, there was little contact, and. Uh, I was interested in religion, in the Christian religion, studying the Reformation at high school and then university. And after university, um, things went very well for me very quickly, too quickly in a way. I had a couple of books published when I was 24, 25. Terrible books. but um, (laughs) They were published by real publishers. And uh, I was searching. I had a little apartment in the center of London. Oh, I wish I had it now. And... um, I was interested in Catholicism. I was writing a biography of G.K. Chesterton, who was a great Catholic convert, and I became, I became became very interested in that whole Catholic milieu of, of people like Belloc and Chesterton and even Warren, Ronald Knox and Graham Greene. And, and eventually I went for instruction in a beautiful Catholic church in central London, and I was received. Mm. And about a year after that, um, I came to give a lecture in uh, Toronto. I'd never been to North America. And I still remember the, the lecture. It was a big uh, conference on Chesterton. My lecture was G.K. Chesterton, Hilaire Belloc, the Marconi Scandal, and Edwardian oh. Antisemitism. And I know you're probably thinking, my God, I wish I could hear that now. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, uh, That's a title to remember. End, exactly. At the end of this paper that I read out verbatim, this very beautiful young woman came up to me. She may have been drunk, I don't know. And she said, she said You're amazing. I'm thinking this may never happen again, I married her. And uh, it hasn't happened again, uh, but we're still married. And I came to live in Canada. And Mm. I continued worshipping as a Catholic. And and something rather odd happened. Um, I, and there's no one to blame but myself, but I was sort of gained this reputation as someone who who was a a, a public Catholic. I spoke about, because I had columns in various newspapers, I was on TV Mm. and radio with this Catholic. And I, I was a Catholic. And, And it didn't matter what I said about, I don't know, transubstantiation or the immaculate conception. No one cares anyway. (laughs) It was the the hot-button issues of equal marriage and Mm. abortion. And they still are the hot-button issues. I suppose assisted dying has come up now as well. And on those two issues, I took a a conservative Catholic stance. And um, I'm not an intellectual, but I'm not a fool. So I made a fairly sophisticated argument, which... um, I think, did a huge amount of damage. Mm. I didn't say things as ugly or radical as people on the Christian right mm. often did, but I was worse, really, because I gave a certain intellectual veneer to the ugly. Yes. Mm. So I would say I believe in civil union, I believe in full legal protection in terms of housing, employment, discrimination for gay people, but not marriage. And that is seemed a fairly reasonable position to many and I would outline the reasons for what I thought marriage were and so on and so I think I did more damage than some screaming fundamentalist Um, and on my tv show I'd have people from all sides represented and it seemed reasonable and on the abortion argument I think a, a similar approach and, then, and that went on for some time, and, I, and that reputation it was exponential because you have the reputation. And then Random House said to me, write a book about Catholicism. And I did. I wrote a book, and, and actually it wasn't my idea, the title, but their title was Why Catholics Are Right. And I wrote that book. But it's no good me saying, well, the title was their idea. I didn't say, no, you yeah. can't call it that. <laughs> you know, I went along with it. So, and, um, oh, if only that book sold 45,000 copies. Only today I could sell that many, but and so I was all I was all over the U.S. and Canada and in Britain I was writing columns for I must have written probably seven or eight regular Catholic columns and and everywhere and I so I suppose both lionized and and notorious and um, and that carried on and uh, and then about eight years ago I began to doubt. Uh, not doubt my faith, but not doubt the way I was living my faith and the way I was interpreting my faith. And there were various um, reasons for this, and they really were uh, various. It was what was going on in Uganda, mm-hmm. the galloping homophobia. I mean, it really is at the epicenter of a homophobia in Africa. And um, I remember there was a the move in Uganda to make it even worse for gay people, where it could be the death penalty just for being gay and I uh I, the Canadian a Canadian politician took a Ugandan politician to task on this and I supported this politician I said you I mean you cannot and as a Christian you cannot argue that someone should be incarcerated executed simply for being gay that this is and I was stunned. And this is before social media was as it is now. I mean, I have a lot of Twitter followers now, that sort of thing. Back then, I was, I was barely on it. I was amazed at how much hatred was thrown at me mm. for daring to say that you shouldn't behave in this way while still saying that mar- marriage was one man and one woman. So I hadn't moved in that position. And I was really stunned by the hatred. And, and then around the same time, I think it was World Vision US, US yes. put out a statement that people in same-sex relationships could work for the company, which was obviously them reacting to the fact that there were a number of people in same-sex relationships who were doing this wonderful work. Yeah. And they were yeah. just being kind and Christian. And and the, the reaction to that was hideous. It was um, not just extreme, mainstream evangelical churches saying – if you do, if, if World Vision proceeds with this, we will have to reconsider our partnership with you, which is a euphemism for we'll withdraw funding for you, which is a euphemism for kids in the third world will die because you dare to, and, and this, I remember going home and I, I mean, I, I, I don't mind admitting this. I went home when I wept, and I thought, I thought I was having a breakdown. Mike, you can't be in any way associated with people like this, but you are, what are you going to do? So I began to speak out a bit and that, then there was more hatred thrown at me, but at the same time, then I had some people in the gay community saying, thank you for saying this, thank you for saying this, and then there were some people, gay Christians, who contacted me, and I met with them, and I, I could not, the beauty of their faith, their relationships, their forgiveness, but everything about them was so impressive, and I began, look, I've, I've, I've known gay people in my life, I mean, I, i I had a, a very good education in in, in, in Britain in the 1970s nineteen seventies and nineteen. You think I didn't? Of course, I knew gay people, gay men in particular. <laughs> They've been great influences on my life. I, it, that wasn't the issue. It was meeting people, clergy and and laity mm-hmm. who were gay and who were struggling against hatred but would not give up their love for Jesus. So all these things were combining together, and and prayer and and this mm-hmm. questioning. And it was, it was a real struggle because part of me knew, I think Mike, if you, hmm. if you change your position and you have to, cause you can't lie and you, you're you going to, you will go crazy. There's going to be a reaction. Hmm. Yeah. But some of the, part of me just didn't think in that. Anyway, I remember I wrote a column. I said, I syndicated column to the sun newspapers and I wrote a column because it was the anniversary of it a couple of weeks ago. I think it was hmm. six or seven years ago. And, uh, I apologised. And, and when I, reading it back, it's really quite a fluffy column because I don't even talk about marriage. I just said, I'd like, I, want, I want to apologise to anybody in the gay community. Hmm. No, I didn't say for anyone I've offended. I want to apologise for the pain I yeah. caused. None hmm. of that silly. If I've offended you, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I was wrong. And I wrote this column. And again, it was before social media was as it is now, even though it wasn't that long ago. And I couldn't believe the letters I received. I can't tell you who all of them were, but very senior people in this country. I remember one of them, oh. beautiful, very famous Canadian. And he said, I used to hate you. He said, I hated you because I loved your writing, but your views on my relationship, my partnership were so hurtful. Hmm. He said, if you'd been an idiot who would just scream, I wouldn't, he said, but, he said, you wrote a piece about your dad that made me cry. And then I thought, but how can he say these other things? And I heard from all sorts of people, and it was, and of course, the other side who just went ballistic. And they and it was like an Inquisition. And I couldn't remain in the Catholic Church. Look, there are many wonderful people in the Catholic Church who disagree with church teaching Mm -hmm. on a lot of these issues. And they wrote to me and said, please don't leave. But Hmm. it's based on authority. And if you reject the Mm -hmm. teaching of the magisterium of the papacy, I couldn't handle that. I'm just not tough enough to, to try and so. I, I was going along to um, the service at the, the Anglican Cathedral in Toronto. I wouldn't receive communion because mm-hmm. I knew you weren't supposed to mm-hmm. as a Catholic. And I went along there. I was still at Sun News, which was, they were wonderful employers. I'll always mm-hmm. defend them in that way. And I still have friends who were there and enemies too. But <laughs> but it was, it was a madhouse in many ways. And I'd go along 10-minute walk to the cathedral just for some humanity and peace and and there, I remember the day I took communion. And I thought, "Well, you've done it now." Mm. And um, I began to worship as an Anglican, a Catholic. And uh, It's the thing that people don't always get. When I'm a Catholic in the Anglican communion, mm. the Anglican Church founded in the Reformation has allowed me to be the Catholic I want to be. And, and but some of the teachings I rejected. You know, oh, he's changing everything. Actually, I haven't changed on that much at all. But yeah. and then it became. I didn't make it a public issue, but then it became public. Yeah someone outed me and there was a two week period and my wife was away camping. I remember. And it was a two week period when I've never, I never thought there was that much hatred in the world. I was naive. I thought I was pretty worldly. I didn't realize what homophobia was. And I'm a boring straight guy with four kids, you know, but so imagine what it's like if you're gay, but just that, I mean, the threats and the hatred and I was fired by everyone. Um, most of it happened in the first week. All of the Catholic um, institutions fired me, and that's okay in a way because if you leave the Catholic Church, you know, it happens. I can understand that. But then 100 Huntley Street, where I was a guest host, they fired me because of where I stood on a gay marriage, and other people fired me. And if there were people who are willing to keep you on, there would then be campaigns by the Christian right to get mm-hmm. me fired that happened a few times so they, they you know you don't need many emails and a small you, you must have
0: you must have known a lot of the people doing this some of the letters some of the letters you
3: well no um, there were one or two who really sh- oh. i mean there's one person who was just told lie after lie about me and i thought why i was so good to you i was so kind to you how could you do this mm. but you just have to move through it and forgive one or two, but there were other people who wrote to me and said, I disagree with you so much, but I know you, Mike, and I love you, and there were good people too. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of them I didn't know, a lot of it came from the U.S. as well. But, yeah, various campaigns, and uh, my wife got two letters and she had to leave me because she's a Catholic. And um, it, it was a rough time. Now, what I always find very amusing is when people say, well, he did all this just for money. I think to myself... I must be even more stupid than I look because you know my income just disappeared. That that shouldn't be an issue, but no, I didn't do it for gain in any way. Uh, and I look back at it; was it was a bleak time. But the, the Toronto Star, God bless them. Hmm. Um, after a, a short while, the the guy who was then the comment editor, he said, "Look, I, I really like what you're saying. Write a column for us, and then give it some time, because hmm. people are going to be in shock when they first see your name." Yeah, and. Years later, I mean, every three weeks, uh, you know, so, uh, but some people were very nice and there were others who were lovely. There were some Anglican bishops who were just wonderful to me. And, and so, and then it just got stronger and stronger and more people. I, I'm sorry, I've gone off too long with this answer, but it, 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 no, not at all. It was very much, it was a spiritual awakening and which some people don't seem to get. And I probably haven't explained it very well, but it was something was going on in me when I look back at who I was, I, I can't understand how I could have been that person. I didn't have, I really didn't hate. People, some people mm. might not believe that, but I, I didn't. But how could I say those things? Mm. I mean, I, I know there was a dis. I mean, on the abortion issue, you see that that's something else. Look, in a perfect world, there wouldn't be any abortion. Um, but that's not the issue. The issue is women having the right to control their bodies. Yeah. And I've said this a number of times. Let's start off with enforcing paternity payments, uh, free contraceptives, completely socialized daycare, extended <laughs> maternity leave, eradicate poverty, uh, liberate women. All of these things, you'll find that abortion rates will plummet. Yeah. But that's not the issue. The issue is controlling women and the, some of the harshest. Um, anti-choice people are also pro-gun and pro foreign invasion and 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 you know I mean you you know they're inconsistent yeah. if not pro-capital democratic.
1: punishment, pro yeah. Yeah.
3: incarceration. No, this
0: is, not, this no. is why
3: yeah. I, I by the way,
0: not going on too long at all, this is the heart of your story. You are an example it's one of the reasons we wanted to speak with you. So so many people that we know. Oh and you have a dog. Okay. <laughs> yeah I'm sorry about <laughs> no, no, that. No, no, no. Sorry.
3: No. The, uh, the the mailman has just delivered something. And tea, <laughs> He's who just I love doing love job. I bet it's I
0: bet it's lovely fan mail. <laughs>
3: so, yeah, well, it's, it's the, a parcel, but you uh, know, after ten years, you think she might have realized? Yep, it's okay. Oh no! To deliver oh something. no no! <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I wouldn't care. on <laughs> we, we have
0: so the reason one of the reasons that I wanted to speak with you is you provide an example, a personal example, your life, your faith. I really um, respect that you that you said to us um Toward the beginning of speaking about your story, that you knew you feel i'm not I'm not saying this, but you feel in some ways it was worse than than kind of the fundamentalist vitriol because you were giving an intellectual veneer and you were so you know we can all watch whether it's Fox News or things and you see you would see similar people who were being used in that way or who allowing themselves to be used to bring kind of this um, gravitas to uh, to a uh, you know, a view that you know eventually becomes really, really difficult or divisive or yep. hateful or whatever. You say in um, Epiphany, uh, and this is one of the lines that, one of the sections that really interested me. And you you refer to it a bit here, but I just want to ask a question on it. You say the the first I realized that there was a problem was when my Christian life, my devotional life, my prayer life, kept running into obstacles, to dead ends to painful realizations that the quintessence of Christ I so worshiped was and is love and that in my stance and statements concerning homosexuality I was not living that love as someone who uh, was a pastor for many years in evangelical settings I know so so many people who have that those I would say you know divisive stances or whatever like these people are unacceptable or this thing is unacceptable but they want something better but they feel stuck um how why do you think that in your faith now this is a kind of a faith question that in your faith you were open to this shift how did you hear that how did you like something happened not not on you know in an interview or tv or even with the uganda thing but something happened in your prayer life in reading
3: that that opened this shift it's very difficult the um there are people, if you've been raised in a particular church, in a particular evangelical culture, and I, and I do, I see this quite a bit, and I have, uh, I have real concerns, actually, because I, to, right now there's, a, there's something I'm, I'm helping someone with, and I've seen the response to him, and it's rooted not in Christ, but in, in the culture of, of his church. And it can be deeply worrying, and, you um, we have four children and none of them are go to church mm. um, one of them converted to judaism to marry a jewish girl uh, the other three one's a little hostile the other two mm. are indifferent really uh, and so if you don't raise a family in a certain christian culture it can be some problems challenges not like i mean i
0: yeah. i think
3: they're wonderful kids but if you do by the time they reach a certain age, it's not just that they have a Christian belief, which is a good thing. They're also attached to their church. Mm. And churches, by their very nature, as institutions, mean, I love the Anglican church, but, you know, it's an institution. And as is the Roman Catholic church, but the problem there is that too many Catholics believe it isn't. They believe it's something more, but it's not. And you have to be able to think outside that box. And on a purely practical, pragmatic level, It can mean losing your friends. It could be losing your family. Um, It could be losing your job as well. So that can be difficult. But at the the deeper level of where where your faith is, when when we say we'll pray about something, these words matter. But are we praying with a genuinely open Mm -hmm. mind and and a a soul that is is open to change or with certain uh, preconceptions, even prejudices, we all do. I do that, too. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's very hard not to. And so experience is a big issue here. If if, if you haven't experienced something, if your view, um, and, and this applies to, it's not just one group, and I see this politically on the right and the left. I see people on the left, and I'm, I suppose I'm a figure of the left, the relative left now, but I see things said about conservatives. Yeah. And I think to myself, and I, and I try to correct people when I can. That's just appalling that you've just said that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know all sorts of people who vote conservative. Now that they're not the hard right of the party, but right. they're wonderful people. Yes. yes. And in many ways better people than the person making this remark yeah. and this artificial polarization. But just trying, I mean, empathy is very important. If if every, if every Christian person, for example, who was opposed to equal marriage could spend some time with some gay Christians, N- not just the gay community, not, not uh, just read a book by, I can recommend several, yeah. by someone who is a, a, a wonderful Christian who happens to be gay, born gay. Uh, read the Bible with understanding. I mean, you know, Twitter is full of people quoting scripture yeah. out of context. And then they'll say to me, you should read your Bible. And I think to myself, you know, I started learning Hebrew when I was nine. Yeah. And, and I... I, I do read the Bible in in original languages as well as English, and you don't want to sound snobbish, but you 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 can't even write that tweet grammatically, you know. <laughs> and and yet you're telling me, and you, and the problem here is that you, you are using yeah. a, a misunderstood, cherry picked out of context little chunk of text in the Bible to make people's lives a living hell. So we can't just put it down to you being annoying. You're causing huge damage here. Yes, and. It happens repeatedly, but as for people, you know, their their prayer life, I suspect there are people who pray far longer, Mm -hmm. more frequently than I do, who have very different views Mm -hmm. from mine. I don't understand. My prayer, maybe it's just a stage I'm at in my life, but my prayer always takes me to a position of greater radicalism. Yes. And uh, I don't mean doctrinaire socialism but I, I do mean that the idea of change and, and seeing humanity in people. And, and when I fail. I fail miserably a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, but I've used this phrase, permanent revolution, permanent revolution of love. And it's really a, a Marxist term, permanent revolution. But we've got to be going through this constant change to see people for who they are. Um, you know, the closest we are to God is sitting the person who's sitting next to us. and And... C.S. Lewis writes beautifully about this. I mean, he died in 1963. It doesn't matter if a if figure of that generation, some of his language is, is not avowed today, but so perceptive. And what he says about humility um, was it humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often, something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And it, he really he gets it right. What, what are we aiming for here? M- more of God and less of us. And But there are times, particularly in the US, but increasingly, I'm afraid, in Canada. Mm-hmm. When you can't even see the shadow of the gospels in what is said. There are conservative figures in Christianity, and I see where they're coming from. I disagree with them, mm-hmm. but I can see their argument. But there are others who just seem to be so full of hatred, but they really are committed to what they think is Christianity. And I that I don't understand. There, there is something has you mentioned Stephen Fry earlier,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and he, he Stephen said to me once. Um because people misread him, they think he he hates Christianity. He he really doesn't. and yeah. I can't tell you how supportive he's been of me and my old nation. But he grew up in a with the Church of England that he said it was it kind and and loving and gentle. Now, when did it hmm. not so much the Church of England, but when did Christianity become so vitriolic? And 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 there has been I mean, it's always been there, but this, this radicalism of the right is fairly recent. It's it's really I I I would say Nineteen seventies. Yeah, you look at some of the statements before then. They're, they're nowhere near as extreme as they are now. You speak about that in in Rebel Christ, um, the chapter.
0: I think it was like Jesus and communism or something, or Jesus was a commie. That um, yeah. <laughs> where where you you know there was there was no such thing as communism when Jesus was around. But how, and then you just have so many scripture verse uh, like scriptural quotes. The, the chapter is filled with, you know, scripture verse after scripture verse, um, and you mentioned there that uh, this lock between, I would think, evangelical Christianity and conservatism, political conservatism, is something that is recent in, in the scope of Christian history, right? But um, it, it
3: is, and uh, where I'm from in Britain, it was always said the Labour Party owed more to Methodism than to Monks. Mm. and the Labour Party, well, it's moved back towards the centre, but under Jeremy Corbyn, it very much moved to the left. But that Christian socialist position was, if not dominant, incredibly influential from its formation in the uh, the late nineteenth, early twentieth century, right up to fairly recently. <clears throat> it was it was very powerful, and and you see this all over uh, evangelical what is called nonconformist mm. Christianity back then. But that changed, and it's really the Americanization. I'm not yeah. anti-American, but yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the U.S. church has done the damage here because. It's so important culturally, so influential in so many ways that other churches are then influenced by it. So we've seen it in Canada. I mean, many people who call themselves Canadian patriots, ironically, are being influenced by American views of of Christianity. And it's also happening, though, and this is is deeply worrying, with the Catholic right. Mm -hmm. You have a Pope who's relatively progressive, but you have uh, a reaction to him on the right, which is bitter and sinister. They hate him. I do keep abreast of some of their media platforms. They hate him. And what will be very interesting to watch for is when Pope Francis dies. Because. What
1: happens then?
3: What happens then? If there is um, a younger man, you know, someone young like my age, (laughs) you know, someone in their (laughs) 60s. A very young Pope. Very young. So, yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, if if Jude Law does become Pope. (laughs) But if, if it's a, if it's a man the in his <laughs> yeah. then he's got 20, 25, yeah. even 30 years, mm-hmm. if he, it's if if similar politically, to move the church into something far more progressive. Certain things won't change and can't change, but others can. If it's a more, as, and I don't know the Vatican well enough to know what's going on, if it's a conservative figure, it'll start to move back to something more because the Catholic right might not like that person, but they can be okay. But if they can see another generation of moving to the left, there won't be a div- it won't split because the majority of Catholics couldn't care less either way. Mm-hmm. But the hardcore, the activists, I think many of them at that point would leave. And they'll either go to the Lefevreist, past the for people, Or they will look to Eastern Orthodoxy, which they don't understand, and they might be very surprised at what they find there. It's a bit like Anglicans who go to Roman Catholicism, thinking it'll all be okay, and they get the shock of their lives because what they often find is um, modern worship, progressive values, uh, and often an indifference to the teaching of the church. Mm -hmm. A lot of cultural Catholicism, but they think the grass is greener. Yes. (laughs)
1: No. um i i'd like to quickly go back to when you're talking about like the americanization of mm. of the church and the impact and and you recently had uh an article in the globe and mail uh, end of june um specifically talking about um roe roe versus wade being overturned and uh it's titled does christianity condemn abortion that's not what the bible says um it was and good. It it was very we'll, good. We'll link it for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I I found it very. And I, I think that we get with with um equal marriage and with abortion. These are kind of like these almost two litmus tests that you get. That you you talked about how Catholics like they don't care about the transubstantiation like that. But these seem to be two matters that really actually or two like that that change. And divide and are are these litmus tests of well are you really a Catholic if you you know support pro-choice candidates in politics or that sort of thing and I was hoping that you could um, you could speak a little bit to us about um, in in terms of abortion with with where you see that that the Bible what does it actually say on it because I mean spoiler alert your, your article says not very much but. But right. I was brought up to think. I was brought up to think both for for same sex marriage and abortion. One hundred percent wrong. The Bible's very clear. Very on very, this. very clear. Yeah. And as I've grown up, I've realized <laughs> yeah. a little less so, in my opinion. Um, you knew me yeah.
0: when I was formed in my mother's womb. Yeah.
1: but it seems that you you've you've kind of come to some conclusions on these two particular um, ideas and in, in specific, not as a dismissive way of your faith but not in spite of it but actually because of it and and I'd I'd yeah, love if yeah. you could tell us a little bit about how you <laughs> came to some of those conclusions.
3: Well that's an important point you made and thank you for making it because um my views in general have moved to the left not in spite of my faith yeah. but because of it because the deeper I've grown in my faith I hope I think the more radical I've become because on the abortion issue um the only church was different the, uh, did okay. So, is, is opposed to abortion Now that's not scripture but i mean we, you know we, we held it in great esteem and the church fathers in the early church they, they were opposed to abortion i don't talk about that in the article i'm, I'm not disputing that mm-hmm. um but that isn't the argument you hear and that we can talk about
0: mm-hmm. uh, but that was
3: also a reaction to pagan culture that was very permissive about abortion mm-hmm. and uh, i think there's a different context there but in scripture well, I mean, there's un- the underlying issue here is is what the Bible is. The Bible is an ancient text, particularly the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and we, you have to comment on it. And as I, I think I said in the piece, the Bible is divine inspired, but it, it's not a divine dictation. And there's metaphor and there's poetry and something that was written thousands of years ago, you have, you have to understand in context. And yes. there is an inconsistency because... Some of these passages are taken from books of the Old Testament that that also say the most horrible things about women and and about ethnic cleansing and about clothes you should wear and slavery, and so no, this is a history of the people. But when it comes to abortion specifically, there is that passage in Numbers where a woman is Mm -hmm. accused of adultery, has to take a potion, which Mm -hmm. will then uh, be an abortion. Uh, She'll lose her child if she's guilty or not. Uh, There are other passages that are not this similar. The, the passage, I mean, there are two references to knowing you in the womb. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one in Luke, well, there are two ways to approach it. One is, it's not everyone is known in the womb. You are singled out because you are the Messiah. You yeah, are known yes. in the womb. You are different from other people. Another way to look at it is it's sheer poetry yes. written by... We, we are really going to take this as a guide to fetal development, yeah. and I, I just don't see that in, in any way. So that there aren't, we can always find, I mean, I've used this many times when, when Jesus says to the centurion who is in love with his servant, a Roman centurion who will be accused uh, mocked by the Jewish people whose army occupying their land as being gay, because that's what Jews mm-hmm. in the first century in Palestine would say. Oh, Roman soldiers all go back to their barracks and Caesar and Maritima, you know what they're doing, don't you? And so here's a centurion who uses a word to say, I love this man. Mm-hmm. And many people would have interpreted that as a gay relationship. And Jesus says, you're brilliant. You're amazing. I wish my people could be like you. Yeah. Now, I wouldn't say that is absolute proof, Yes, but when it comes to some poetic uh, reference to, John, to Elizabeth and Mary, that has to be absolute proof of why we can never have abortion. So the Bible is not absolute. I mean, the, the Bible, the Gospels are absolute on certain things, yes. like turning the other cheek. Yes. Like, well, to, let's be very precise here. I certainly believe divorce must be allowed, but if you want to make an argument from Scripture. From the New Testament, from the yeah. words of Jesus about a social issue, the one you have most grounds to argue for is no divorce. But you, you never, when did you last hear an evangelical leader say, yeah. many of them are divorced. They will always find a way to say a divorce is okay, as does the Catholic Church. No, we don't. We believe in annulment. Oh, give me a break. I've studied later. <laughs> annulment, there can be children from the marriage you can still have an annulment yeah indeed though um a husband can be abusive can be an adulterer they are not grounds for annulment but they will work out a way to keep you in it you went into this marriage not knowing it was a marriage uh, th- they find a way they're effectively allowing you to be divorced so they will find a way to do that even because it's very difficult not to because yes. a lot of people are getting divorced so there's an inconsistency here. This is not what scripture is not meant to be used to, to exclude people and hurt yes. people. And you know, I, I said this in a, in a homily recently, and it's taken I mean, the passage I mean, they're taken from Deuteronomy and Leviticus, but they're put together here. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. The rest really is a footnote, you know. Thank you. And mm. Try and do that, just try it, try it for a couple of hours, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I have a <laughs> From that, I have
0: one more question before we ask the same question we ask at the end of most of our interviews. Um, Someone who's informed our kind of like this podcast and our large organization, what we think of as hopeful theology, one of the reasons we're speaking with you. Um, One of the theologians who informs this a lot is... um, Carl Barth, and one of the things that he said about theology, and at the time he called it evangelical theology, of course, this was before there was a political voting block and such, so he he meant the word as it was supposed to be meant, um, but he said, true evangelical theology is modest uh, it doesn't have to be hollered or yelled because he said it proves it proves and it will prove itself. what I'm asking is you know, how you speak now, even just the way you're speaking with us, um, you seem able to just to, to demonstrate that kind of trust that these things will prove themselves. Whereas, and I, I, I know there's fundamentalism on the left as, as, as well as on the right, you know, that, that, but there's a lot of hollering out there and the hollering that comes from, from people who kind of all, nothing but warnings all the time about the other side and how the, you know, or this agenda or something, Um, Do you find that the way in which you speak
3: has changed in in undergoing this shift? It's a good question. Um, I've always had a sense of humor. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, I, my views, I believe on many issues, I mean, not all, you know, I I was always opposed to the death penalty. I opposed the Iraq war. I believe in the welfare state. I believe in forgiving third war debt. So many issues haven't changed at all, but when I had issues, when I had beliefs that would now make me shudder,
0: hmm.
3: I think often I, I try to present them in a fairly approachable way. Hmm. Um, but yeah, there has been a change, certainly there has been, but, but but not not radically so. I mean I am who I am I mean one of the I know that years ago sometimes people on the left would say, "What really irritates me is, is I quite like him when I met him, I quite liked him. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, that, you know, some people, that you know, is a so problem <laughs> not all man. No, no, people don't understand me whatever my views are but a little bit I mean certainly I have thought about this I think that back then even when I said things I believed them but there was a certain nag of something mm. at the back of me saying really you really believe that you really believe that whereas now that's gone I really i mean i you you develop, you evolve but the the fundamental the basis of of my gospel belief system no, I feel absolute confidence yeah uh, which means that, more that, trust, yeah yes I mean that just gives you a wonderful platform from which to work then, right. but certainly that the hollering i have never been into that sort of thing the 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 shouting and, i mean why is that person shouting all the yeah. time? And they, they are. Yeah, for sure. Although I've got to be careful because I said that to my, my wife and I were having an argument once. I said, why are you shouting? Uh, yeah, don't, Not a good thing to say. I was would just saying, I don't it. think I'd advise that, Michael. <laughs> no. <laughs> we got over it, though, thank God. So
1: I think I've really enjoyed our, our time as we, we've spoken today. You've been very generous with your time with us today. I'm very appreciative of that. And uh, I know that we've said this several times before. I've... I've felt very encouraged by, by your writing. And I know that, that Todd has as well. And, um, Amanda sitting behind the board over there. And so we're very Hi, grateful for, for what you are doing, what you are saying and the, the way that you speak from your faith and it's not in spite of it that you've made some of these Amen. changes. And we always like to end our our interviews by asking the same sort of question. And it's interesting some of the takes that we get on it, but, I'd like to know, what is it that gives you hope right now?
3: Uh, well, I've got to say Tottenham looked brilliant. <laughs> um, that's a good thing. Okay. I'm more excited about this team than I have been. Uh, uh, that's that, that, we'll that's actually, that's actually a good answer. Reference that we've gotten, I like, I like that. that. Answer, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we have four children and our first grandchild as well. Uh, and you always have hope when you hear all these bad things that are going on in the world, uh, but when I see, and I've seen kids in the, the next generation, I think there's often a lot more love and openness mm. uh, in them than there has been in the past. Mm. Um, I mean, I have hope because it's, it's just a fundamental of, of of what my belief is. I mean, it, we, we know what happens. In, you know, We've seen the end. We've seen the last, and, and it will be okay. Um, and I went to see I went to see Richard III at Stratford the other day, mm-hmm. and one of the uh, kids playing The Two Princes, um, poor, poor little guy, he just dried, he, got, he lost his lines. Oh. And, and they're trying to help him through. And I uh, so my, my said, oh, poor kid, I wonder what will happen. And I said, they'll probably smother him to death. Yeah. And <laughs> which is very dark, but oh, yes, they do <laughs> in the next act. And... We we know the story. We know the story. And it's going to be okay. And the good guys do win, as it were. But that doesn't mean I spend every day waking up, oh, great, hope. Yeah. You know, that's yeah, going to get me. For sure. And there are times when I you see injustice, you see on a global scale, and you see it also just with people you know. I mean, there's someone like right now who's going through it and – my heart breaks for him and the way he's being treated. It's so unfair and so I see in the church. I see the way Mm -hmm. churches treat people sometimes. Mm -hmm. And and there are times when I do feel a little bit sorry for myself. Not very often, actually. But then age is good for that because I'm I'm 63 now, so mortality becomes a reality. You're immortal until a certain point and then you start, people you know, people you're at school with die. Now, I mean, they die far too young, but people you work with who are a little bit older than you certain times my god he died she died and it's usually he but you realize there is an end point hmm. and um but that actually is is there's hope involved with that mm-hmm. too um i i do climate change and i wonder what's going to happen in the mm-hmm. world that my kids are going to inherit and um not so much about wars there have always been dreadful wars and and international mistreatment of people. It's not so much that. Horrible as it is, it has happened before. Mm-hmm. It's things that aren't reversible. They, they do worry me. But um, I will say this. I don't know how people do it without a faith. Hmm. And I don't that to sound patronizing or, or smug because I have dear friends who have no faith at all right. and they are more content than me right. and happier <laughs> than me, really. But for me, I don't think I could do it yeah. without faith. It would be what is the point? And most of what I write now has a faith basis to it. I'm not that interested in Canadian politics. <laughs> I do write about Canadian politics, but there's always something, a faith link to it. Am I right? That's what my writing is. Um, otherwise, no, I'm just not that, not that interested. Um, so th- th- there's a point to what I do. And, you know, there, there are those moments where I'm a priest And I have the privilege of consecrating the host, the Eucharist, behind that altar. And when you do that, and it doesn't matter if there are half a dozen people there or if there are a couple of hundred people there, I sometimes think to myself, my God, you've been given this. It's such a wonderful thing to, and I'm about to conduct a a baptism in the morning and um, a funeral in the afternoon. And I'm going to write a column in the Toronto Star about that. And the, just this, not just the circle of life. That's too banal. But what does this really mean? Yeah. And these the, the stages of eternity, and uh, all these things, give me hope. But that doesn't. Having hope doesn't mean you won't feel down. No. Uh, that, you know that is, it's not a, a drug that'll make you feel good the whole time. Yeah. Uh, when I... my when my dad died, the, uh, the doctor gave my mum uh, an SSRI do know what it. Can't remember what it was. Prozac or Paxil or something. And I thought, what? You know, of course she's going to be upset. Her husband yeah. has died. There, there, there's an going. If you're going through a terrible depression, yes, medication can be a wonderful right. help. But if it's a natural grieving, yeah. it mean, may be something to help you sleep. But you can't take that pain away. And I can do a service at a retirement home, and I see the level of dementia, mm. yeah. and you see the, the loneliness, and you come away, and I. I'll be absolutely candid. I've sat in the car driving home, and I've cried. Yep, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, doesn't mean I don't have hope. It means I'm a realist who yeah. has hope.
0: Well, actually, you cry with hope, and I yeah. and you know one of the things that I really respect about you, Michael, and and just reading your stuff, and this is our first conversation other than digitally, um, knowing the work of a minister, and the work that you have done in the past and you keep doing, writing books and columns and such. But I know those scenes in the old folks home and in the car afterwards or walking away from the graveside. And the shift um, is, you know, not only in your life on on issues, but your service. The places Mm. where, you know, the cameras aren't there. And yeah. Oh, yeah. And and how so. And we just we really want to thank you for this time. I I concur in, in your last answer there both of the books that, that i read rebel christ and epiphany um as you're saying because of your faith not in spite of it there's a call to faith in these books there there are things that but from so. from, from I, a I, totally you know, different place than that fear yeah
3: well rebel christ and I, i'm really it's, it's only 50 odd thousand words it's not a long book but I'm, but I'm really proud of that book and some of it is yeah. in epiphany too little yeah. parts of it but it's you know i I know it has actually brought some people in, into faith you never yes. know how many but it, it um if I had to stand by one book, it would be that you know this is my my statement my testimony this well is done. what uh, and, and it's such a wonderful thing i mean people what what does give me enormous hope is is the number of people who will say, well I'm not really a Christian or I don't know much about <laughs> it but wow this, i I really like what you've said here, and I don't like what you wrote here and you know they are always of course extreme we've just gone about sky fairies and all that stuff yeah. but they don't matter <laughs> they really don't matter and um, it's the vast majority of people who are not fundamentalists of atheism or Christianity yes they're just good people and they and they're interested and you never know how many you never know how many people you're reaching
0: well uh, you're reaching us and we're really thank grateful. You. We're going to keep following what we're doing. We hope to have more conversations and, and hope that your summer's going well and such. Um, so thank you so much for joining us.
3: Anytime, really. It's been oh, a great Well,
0: post. we will. Thank
1: you. Thank you so much, Michael.
3: Thank you.
0: Rector's Cupboard releases a new episode every other Friday. The podcast is a production of Reflector Project. Hosts are Todd Weeb and Allison Williams, Cupboard Master for Tastings and Locations is Ken Bell. Production and social media by Amanda Miner. For past episodes and other content, visit rectorscupboard.ca. Thanks for listening.